Hi, everyone. If you like what you've been hearing, please consider subscribing to the Patreon at patreon.com backslash Hegelbon. That's H-E-G-E-L-B-O-N. The Patreon's really the lifeblood of the podcast. It lets me dedicate the time that I need to play the games, to talk to our guests, to really set everything up and, and make everything as sharp as it is. Um, without it, uh, no cartridge really wouldn't exist the way it does today. If you don't like monthly pledges, I totally get it. Uh, there's also paypal.me backslash Hagelbon, and we can try and figure something out there. Or you can email me at nocartridgeaudio at gmail.com. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, and I will try and answer your emails as quickly as I can. Thanks so much for your support, and enjoy the show. Episode 100, uh, this is one time ever I'm going to actually say the name of the, the number of the episode, because uh, I'll just get it wrong otherwise. Uh, we have with us uh, actually a return guest. Uh, he was here for our very first uh, interview uh, session ever. Um, before him, all the episodes were basically 20-minute uh, mini-reviews of games that I did. And uh, it turns out playing enough of a game every single day in the week to review it is not really workable. So... Um, Mr. Alex Navarro is back and he is, uh, basically responsible for me continuing the podcast past episode 14. Alex, thanks for coming on. Uh, thank you, man. Uh, that is a great deal of responsibility to assign, uh, me, especially <laughs> considering I was just on here to talk about Japanese wrestling games last time, but, I know. uh, I'm, I'm very glad to be back. Yeah, I know. We, we were not, we're probably not even going to get to talk about Suda this time, which feels a little wrong. Um, especially considering all of his games are now being re-released. They are. They are. They are systematically going through all of them, and then at some point he will have to re-release all of them again. I, I don't really mind, actually. Like I, I'm, I'm very into the new re-release schedule. Like I, I like that No More Heroes and Killer Seven, and then um, I think it's cool that they're going to be re, uh, remastering Metal Wolf Chaos, and it's just there's a lot of good stuff that I've always kind of meant to play, but it's always been a hassle. But now it's going to be extremely easy to play. Yeah, and for me, a lot of those are games that I have played but not necessarily finished. So will mm. this be the time I finally actually beat Killer7? Probably not, but I might <laughs> give it another shot. <laughs> it's a good plan. I Yeah, I, I think like, um, well, I don't know. Actually, we'll be talking today about long games versus difficult games and all that stuff because um, I want to get your thoughts on a number of things, including marathon gaming. But uh, yeah, there's, there's something about Suda's games that they're – they're gripping, but it reminds me a little bit of Swery's games too, who is the guy I always confuse with Suda, who just, they just like, they make these games that are really fun and really compelling, but God help me if I can finish them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the thing is that, you know, there, I, I think Swery in particular has shown like an arc of improvement over the course of his career. Like, I would you agree. Look at something like deadly premonition, you know, I mean, that game has definitely busted in a lot of very severe ways, but you know, D4, 
like weird and somewhat impenetrable as that game was like it was also still one of the best connect games just like in terms of pure functionality mm, and yeah. i haven't had a chance to play the missing yet but i've heard it's actually like a really solid experience all around the missing so it is feels like tremendous i really really yeah. enjoyed the missing so it feels like there's an arc of like sort of like you know there's definitely the personality is still there but like the the actual quality of the games has changed whereas with suda i think there's been a pretty steady level of quality throughout his his career like some of it is just like i said impenetrably weird <laughs> but you know like all his games feel like they're of a kind that seems right yeah I, I think like the um you know the always the sort of like heavy heavy violence always the uh the sense of like um I don't. I really know how to describe it. Like, there's always. It always seems like they are trying to alienate their audience in a certain fun way. Like, I, I can imagine yeah. there are more people I've heard describe Killer Seven or Hero or um, uh, Killer is Dead as um, like unplayable games. But also, you know, compared to how many people will just tell you that they are absolutely like must play games, um, you don't yeah. usually hear that. <laughs> no, definitely not. I mean, there's a very anarchic sensibility to the way Suda makes his games. And, you know, that that can definitely be very grating if you're not uh, if you're not bought into sort of his sensibility and his vibe. For but, sure. uh, you know, for me in general, like I don't necessarily always love playing his games, but I am I am never anything but amused by them. <laughs> well, uh, you should definitely play The Missing. That is um, whenever you find time to uh, play another game, which I'm sure, you you know, you have all the time in the world to play the games you want to play, uh, not, not the ones you're. Yeah, time, sure. that's, not so much. But I hear this one, the missing is actually a relatively short experience, which sounds pretty nice right about now. It is actually. It's. Uh, I would say it took about. Uh, what did it take me? And I, I played pretty pretty completionist. Uh, it took me maybe like under ten hours. Okay, which is yeah, that I mean, sounds nice. In I this day and age, that. is shocking. <laughs> totally. Um, well, let's talk about some of those longer games. So, well. Actually, before we talk about the longer games, I have to ask you this, and I don't know when I'm going to be able to work it in again, but you uh, you accomplished a pretty amazing thing, uh, which I know you've kind of become um, notorious in a good way for. So I guess notable is, is the word I'm looking for. Uh, you did a 24-hour stream of uh, Rock Band on drums, correct? Yes, I did. Yes, I did for Extra Life uh, this past – last week, last week. I should tell you before we get into it uh, that your playlist made me revisit uh, – the night the lights went out in Georgia, which um, I annoyed oh, my whole yeah. family with for about uh, a day until they just got mad enough at me that I stopped playing it every minute on the Alexa. Um, Reba McIntyre is good as hell, and I will fight anyone that says otherwise. No, you're right. And that song is great. Um, it's like it's also extremely woke, which is cool. Yes. Um, yeah, so it was a, it's a Vicky Lawrence song originally. Oh, I, think. Right. I don't know. It was definitely one of those songs that, 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 that got around over the years, various covers and whatnot. Mm, okay. That makes sense. I mean, it sounds like one of those like sort of, uh, country standards, but it's, it was it's totally very well done by Reba. Um, and, uh, so I want to ask you what, what is it like to play video games? Oh, I mean, let's not even cut around it. What is it like to play drums that long? I, it m- uh, must be hellish. It's hellish is maybe slightly overstating it. Uh, It's it's tiring. Certainly. Uh, I was certainly sore by the end of it. Uh, But I don't know. Like, so I've done two of those prior to this year. Uh, I had done 12 hours the first year and then 16 last year. 
Um, and at the end of each of those, I was definitely ready to be done. Like my arms were sore. Like I, I definitely started to lose a little bit of feeling in parts of my wrist and, and whatnot. <laughs> um, but you know, it, I had this weird experience this year. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I'm not a very spiritual person. I'm not a person that necessarily, you know, buys too much into sort of like energy and vibes and all of that. But there was a moment where I was kind of, I was probably around the 16 to 18 hour mark where I just sort of hit this point where the pain stopped mattering. Mm. Uh, like what I was feeling was there, but I just, it just didn't impact me anymore. Like I had somehow just stepped on top of the pain instead <laughs> of just letting the pain get on top of me. You got a runner's high. And yeah, yeah, it was something like that. And I, and I can't run for shit. So <laughs> that, that you know, maybe that is my equivalent. We, uh, we, we have um, something in common then. Yeah, yeah. No, I can I can go maybe 10 feet and then I need to lay down for a little bit. <laughs> but with this, like it, it, as a sustained thing, like it was, you know, like I said, there was definitely some discomfort. But like by the end of it, I think I might have been playing better than I was during most of the rest of it, nice. which was really confusing in the moment. I was I was actually looking through your scores and I was amazed to see how many like how many five stars you got towards the end of the stream. Um, I really thought I mean, you would have just I, like been phoning it in at that point not because you weren't interested but because how could you not be yeah and i you know i had sort of built out those playlists in a way to sort of uh to try and mitigate some of the more challenging songs like to make them put them up front so that like later on i was not like doing you know speed metal on my 11th playlist <laughs> uh but yeah i was totally expecting to be dead and i wasn't and that was one, relieving, because it meant I could actually finish the stream. Uh, and two, just confusing. I don't know how I did it. I am not in good shape. I am not a healthy person by any stretch. Whatever I, whatever it was, whatever whatever divine anything happened there, uh, I am very glad that it did. And I am very happy with how all that turned out. We raised a lot of money for charity, and I'm very happy with that. Yeah, you guys, you guys killed it. Um, I, I got to ask, like, so what is, when you do something like that, when you set out as a, on sort of like a marathon stream like that, I mean, how much does the fear of not finishing it play play into it for you? I mean, like I that has to come up and that has to be something that you think about. But like it almost feels like it would be sacrilegious to be like, we might not finish this stream. Uh, I was definitely hemming and hawing about that <laughs> a lot early on because, uh, you know, with last year hitting 16, I was pretty tired by the end of it. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to pull it off. I wasn't sure if it was going to be like intensely disappointing if I, you know, made it to 16 or just slightly after that and then was like, OK, I can't go anymore. Um, so I, I spent a lot of time thinking about that. And at some point, this is a bad quote to have run through my head at that moment. <laughs> But it was that quote from the guy who did the fire festival oh, no. where they, there was that, that thing, I guess, from a teleconference where they were planning the thing where everyone was saying, you can't do this. And then the guy was like, fuck it. Let's just be legends. Right. And I was like, yeah, all right, let's fuck it. Let's be legends. Let's do this. If I burn out, I burn out hard. And maybe I don't go to jail at least. So it's not that bad. Well, but. yeah, they wouldn't. I don't think they Well, I mean, I guess you could burn out real hard. Um, yeah. I mean, let's not, you know. But but yeah, that was that was all I was thinking. It was like, yeah, what the fuck? Why nice. not? Why not nice. try it and just see what happens? And then I will heavily couch that in language that says, hey, if I, I injure myself, I'm going to stop. Yeah, I mean, that's totally fair. And I think like I think anyone would have understood if that happened. Um, I mean, what I like totally what I like so much about the stream is that like there is 
like there is that catharsis at the end of finishing it because I think like anyone watching you is also thinking the same thing. Like, is he going to make this, is he going to get through this? Like, this is so, so much. And there's that, that video that, uh, that went around of you just like finishing up the, the set and like, just, I think finishing on Freebird, of course. Um, yes. Which was awesome. Uh, just a, an inspired choice. And, uh, and just like the look of, it wasn't even relief on your face. It was just being done. Like it's, it's so yeah. good. Yeah. It, the feeling at the end of that is, you know, again, like I said, I'm not a very physically oriented person. So like, I don't do a lot of, you know, kind of marathon or really exercise related things, but there was definitely this like weird euphoria that went through my head at that moment where it was like, I didn't have anything left except to just have a big stupid smile on my face and want to lie down immediately. That's, <laughs> that's all I had in me. Um, did you lie down immediately or did you do the thing that everyone does, um, on Twitter and beyond when they need to lie down and uh, just spend a bunch of time online? Uh, I definitely spent more time online than I probably should have afterward. (laughs) Uh, but I was doing it from a prone position for a little bit where I was just kind of laying on the floor and staring up at my phone while I was doing that. Excellent. Good. Um, the floor is maybe not the place that you should sleep, but I, I, I admire the rest of it. I eventually made it to my bed to do actual sleeping, but there was definitely a few minutes there where it was like, my back just needs to be on a hard, flat surface for a few minutes. I mean, who could blame you? Um, Yeah. So I'm kind of interested in thinking about that marathon game with another marathon game that you had to deal with, although on a different level, uh, in in Red Dead Redemption 2, which you've been uh, playing for Giant Bomb um, and have played for Giant Bomb. You did some early coverage of it. and I've been talking with a lot of my friends about this game and it's like it, the conversations around it, I knew there'd be conversations about it's um, it's quality is sort of like a uh, whether or not it was doing good things in terms of like race and, 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 you know, class and stuff like that. And, you know, that's, I have a lot of friends doing smart work on that and I'm, I'm convinced that people are going to be talking about the right stuff. Um, but I've had some really interesting conversations with people about like, um, just the nature of that game. And I wanted to talk to you about it and get a sense of what it felt like for you to play a game just like that long, especially when it's for like, you have to finish it because it's basically for work. Well, the the other thing on top of that was, so I had about, uh, let's say nine and a half days uh, between when code for that showed up and when the embargo lifted. Uh, I ended up writing my review of it uh, the day after the embargo on actual launch day. But so let's say I had about 10 days really to to work on that thing. Uh, That came just two weeks after I had just previously reviewed Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which was another game that was about, let's say, between 60 to 80 hours of of playtime. I mean, Odyssey was longer, wasn't it? It was it was around 80, I think, by the time I was done with it. Okay. And I I had, I think, a day less to work on that one than I did on on Red Dead. So I had those kind of back to back, which was an experience. Let me tell you, I can only imagine. I mean, like, I mean, that's even better. Like, how did it? I don't know. How do you get through basically the two? Well, both. I mean, not not just the two longest games, but also the two most like labor flashpoint games of recent history, uh, just like within two weeks, basically. Uh, I, there were some days I spent at home where I did not really do anything except play those games. Uh, (laughs) you know, that was kind of, you know, I mean that being a a games critic and, you know, someone who's salaried in that job, 
that's my job. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, yeah. I, I'm not taking those days as like, you know, off of work. Like that is the work. So I'm spending like three or four days at a time, not really going to the office or talking to anyone or going outside at all. And just sort of like head down trying to finish this thing. I mean, was it and, fun or was that just like, did it feel like, I'm thinking like, I'm thinking of when I was, and I, I, you know, I have some experience with this, with the podcast, but not so much. Like the only game I reviewed was, uh, Far Cry Five, and I didn't, I didn't beat it because, of course, for my for my uh, work, like review just means talk about the basic political stuff, and you don't really have to beat the right. game to get there. But um, uh, you like, I mean, I'm thinking about being in my dissertation and and you know working on you know novels that I loved, um, but I also had to finish, and just like that feeling of like man, in a different life, I would be really enjoying this, but I this is not enjoyable right now. I mean, were the games at all fun for you to play? Obviously, outside I mean, of the they, review process, but... I, I think so. And the thing is, like, you know, a lot of people sort of deride this notion that, like, you know, a reviewer can possibly enjoy a product that they have to experience in sort of a, a condensed fashion like that. Sure. And... You know, I think early on, if when you know you first start reviewing games, like it, it's definitely you know you'll start to feel it after a while when you're doing long game after long game, especially if they're not particularly good games. But for me, especially at this stage of my career, I can do the marathon sessions and I can kind of do these like long games, and as long as they're fun, it doesn't really bother me okay. anymore. Like it's it's it is certainly you know. Uh, I like going outside from time to time. I like interacting with people from time to time. And it kind of sucks to not be able to do that for a little bit, but that's it. You know, like, and I remember when I was, when the review for Odyssey came out, a lot of people seemed to respond in kind of a negative way saying like, Oh, well, of course, you know, he didn't like it because he had to spend like 80 hours playing it over the course of a week. Like that sucks. You know, no one can have fun that way. And it's like, well, no, the problem isn't that, I spent 80 hours playing it over X amount of time. The problem is that they made the same 80 hour game. They just made last year with a less interesting story and then like tripled it, you know, like that. The problem isn't that I had to spend a long time playing it. The problem is that the thing they ask people to spend a long time playing just isn't as good as the last game they put out. Right. You know, it's just not as interesting. There's, there's a way of thinking about that where like you're, you're asking, okay, can like a, can a, can a critic really enjoy this stuff? And I think like, the question of like, yeah, can I enjoy this? Um, I've enjoyed other games in this in this sort of uh, ringer, and in a certain way, you're kind of like being forced to approach these games without any sentimentality. Like, is it good yeah, enough exactly. to play for eighty hours? Well, let's find out by spending eighty condensed hours with it. Um, and if yeah, some and games you know, have, then great. And you know, like the reason I enjoyed Assassin's Creed Origins more isn't because I had longer to play it. It's because it's just a better story with better characters, and mm-hmm. it doesn't pad itself out as much as a game like Odyssey does. Right. And with Red Dead, you know, I have my criticism to that game, but like very rarely did I feel like that game was wasting my time. There was there weren't many moments where I sat there and been like, "This could really stand to wrap up right now, please." <laughs> Except you know, toward the very end, there's a couple of bits that I think kind of drag on a little too long, which is like the but, worst time to drag on, right? 
Yeah, it is. But but at the same time, like I was way too engrossed with that thing to really think too much about that. Sure. Like I was certainly looking at the clock and I was certainly thinking to myself, you know, OK, well, do I have time to review this? Am I going to be able to get this on, on time with the, the embargo and whatnot? But most of the time I was just like lost in that world, which mm. I think is, you know, very much what you want out of a game, especially of that scope and that style. Yeah, for sure. I mean, one of the things one of the things that I've been asked about Red Dead, and I, I thought it was a, a pretty interesting question. I didn't have a good answer for it, um, and, and maybe you do. Uh, you know, like a friend of mine has said about Red Dead that like you, uh, my buddy Andrew, who I've streamed with here, who's been on the show or not hasn't been on the show yet, but will be at some point. Um, mentioned that like with Red Dead, as with any Rockstar game, you effectively like the way to the way to sort of decode them is to look for the movie that they're trying to to be. Um, and then you sort right. of can follow the, the the path of the of the story pretty easily, um, which I mean, it sort of felt like, OK, I know this Western that this is doing. And it felt in many ways like a prestige film, which is to say, like, and I mean, I'm not I'm not super far into it, but I am enjoying the world. Also, I had that same experience of like, I really like this world. I like being in it and and kind of like imp- like living in it. Um, but I'm not surprised by anything. And I'm not like it's not like any of it is is hitting me in a way that I'm just like, wow, I'm like, I'm, this is, this is not what I expected. I've never seen anything like this. Um, it really feels sort of like in some ways by the numbers in the best possible way. So like it, do you feel like this is where the, the triple a games are going? Do you think that that's a fair characterization of, of red dead is like, are they just becoming prestige film light or is that kind of missing the point? I mean, I think that's always kind of been their mode of operation. I mean, I think that the one word that maybe they don't weren't necessarily looking for as much before, especially with like the Grand Theft Auto series is prestige. Like they're using popular film and they're using, you know, sort of, uh, you know, plenty of of templates from popular films, you know, ranging from from heat to Scarface and whatnot over the course of that series. But, you know, with with Red Dead, Red Dead one was very much a spaghetti ass Western. Like that was (laughs) a, you know, here is your 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 gritty fucking dime store novel version of of the Western, you know, kind of done with painted with the same brush they would use to paint most GTA games. This one felt like. I don't know how to explain it, but like the prestige is a good word for it because it does feel like they're going for a little bit more of that Oscar Beatty kind of Western with it. Definitely. Um, yeah. I, I almost like, like not, not necessarily any specific movie, but like there's definitely a lot of like, there's some true grit in there. There's a little three ten to Yuma in there, you know, like at least in terms of some of the environmental design, there's definitely, uh, you know, some, some cinematography that shares some, some assassination of Jesse James in there. It reminds um, me of those. It reminds me of the Westerns that always get critical acclaim where like, like like the searchers or something where it, it's not sure. necessarily like there's a um like there's a particularly difficult story being told but that like there's some no. sort of like background aesthetic that makes it interesting um the magnificent sevens this way too or you know any of those films where it's like it's not as if even even in the kurosawa uh even in um seven samurai it's not as if like um there's some sort of amazing story there. It's interesting. It's fine, but it's, it's certainly archetypical. Um, it's just, there's an aesthetic of like loss or, or kind of like, I don't quite know how to explain it, but that is certainly there in Red Dead. Um, that kind of aesthetic. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the core story of, of Red Dead is not particularly challenging. I mean, it, it is, you know, it's very much just about like uh, pining for a time when, 
you know, the characters of that game had more freedom to be able to do what they want. And, you know, the world is sort of closing in around them. Like that's a story that's been told a million times, especially in the Western genre. Right. But, you know, the difference here is that at the very least, they have an established history that they're working with. You know, they have the story of John Marston and they're kind of to a degree telling, you know, what led up to that story in the first game while telling the story of this gang. And I think that the way the reason this story works primarily is because they actually do make the gang into a really interesting personality of its own. And it's not just, you know, Arthur, it's not just Dutch, but it's like the myriad personalities around that gang and the way they kind of immerse you in that world Mm -hmm. of those characters, like just not even just through missions, but just through the act of hanging out in camp, sort of just being in, in that space with other people who feel like they are living a life that is separate from the player character, which is something that a lot of Rockstar games really aren't very good at. <laughs> no. Like GTA, like even something like GTA 5, which is, you know, this really lively, bustling, fascinating world that mostly doesn't do anything except react to the player. You know, like there isn't a lot of like internal, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of internal clockwork to the NPCs in that game beyond they're there to drive around until you launch a rocket at them or crash into them, at which point they scream, you know, like that's, that's kind of what that world is. Sure. And this felt like their first earnest attempt at trying to create a world where there is a life happening around the player that you aren't necessarily engaging with all the time, but is always there and is there for you to engage with when you want to. Yeah, I mean the one the one thing that I noticed in in the the playthrough that I've been I mean I'm not very far in it at all, but the um the, the place I'm at at this point, like I actually look for the talk function, which is shocking. Like usually I I I'll do it because I'm kind of a completionist at heart, which is uh I'm trying to break because you don't end up playing a lot of games if you try to beat them. Uh, by their, by like, and this is not a good game for completionists because no. there are ways that like missions can get locked out if you do the x number of steps in the wrong order, or yeah. you know, like there there are things that will pop up all the time that you just won't see. So it's like I I, I am also like that, and at a certain point, I just had to like go of that because I was going to drive myself crazy trying to find everything in that world. Yeah, I remember uh, like I I talked to Chris Person ages ago when when Persona Five came out, and he he was saying yeah, like I reviewed that and. I just I pulled up the game fact like I just I found a game fact and finished it up because someone had written. I think one. that's fair. Yeah. And it's like I I don't want to spend I, this is going to take me 90 hours to play. I know how I feel about these games. I'm going to want to complete it. And I don't want to spend another 90 hours going through it the second time fixing what I didn't do right. Um, right. And like that, I, I, I keep wanting to fight against it because one of the things that I think is weird about and it it sort of like speaks to the question of prestige uh film or tv versus video games like one of the things i think video games do that prestige film and tv can't is they provide you with this place that you you i don't know how to say it like you can you can experience everything like you can be a completionist wherein like whereas like imagine someone saying they're a completionist for i don't know uh the wire Right. Like, well, what does right. that mean? Like you watched all the episodes, you like you listen to the you director all the commentary. features. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like it's not it's not the same thing. And on a certain level, like missing things or or seeing things in the background or rewatching something. Right. Like that's part of the joy of cinema um, that I think completionist video gaming is kind of missing. Like you can watch. Um, I'm trying to think of like a good example of this. I mean, any any like the modern westerns or any of the sort of like notable westerns out there. Um, 
like I'll, I'll stick with Magnificent Seven. You can watch the Magnificent Seven, and you you end up you know you end up feeling one way about it. You end up like watching it one way, and then you can watch it you know two years later or a year later, and you see something else. And then you watch it again, and you can watch it four or five times because it takes you two hours or whatever, and it doesn't feel like you're kind of doing something you've already spent a hundred hours on. Um, right. I guess like it's not it's not as if you couldn't. Uh, it's not as if you could beat this game in five hours or or a time where like replaying it would make any sense at all. But I am looking forward to seeing what the speed run for this game looks like. But yeah, <laughs> I think you could probably I think you could probably find someone who could do it in 20. Uh, probably. Yeah. But like even that is is crazy. And like but like not playing it as a completionist already gives you the sense of like, OK, I'm going to experience this world. Maybe I'm going to experience it once and then it's over. Like it, it's, right. I'm not going to see everything. I'm not going to do everything. It's going to be over. And I can't get myself to embrace that. I, I love it as an idea. I love it as a way of experiencing art. I like the idea of just being able to see something um, out there. I just like, I, I can't get myself there. I want to see everything. And I don't know how to, I don't know yeah. how to square that circle. I mean, so that's, that's definitely an issue I've especially have with the open world genre. And mm. I think especially speaking to more recent entries in the open world genre, because I, even in games that I actually really like, like, uh, you know, the recent Assassin's Creed games or, or Marvel Spider-Man, those games are very nakedly just long checklists. <laughs> they are just lists of things that you can do. They Sometimes they will appear somewhat at random, but there is always you know, X number of crimes in one neighborhood that I have to tick off. You know, there are X number of backpacks I need to collect or, you know, in Assassin's Creed, you know, there's, there's, there's X number of, of forts and bandit camps and I have to make sure I get all those. <laughs> and, you know, uh, I have to make sure that I check off every single one of these exclamation point side quests. Cause if I don't, then, you know, if I get to another Island, I don't know if I'm going to go back. Right. Like it is, it is you ticking these boxes very openly and clearly to the point that, you know, a lot of these games are not even really trying to disguise that in any meaningful way. And one of the things I kind of appreciated about Red Dead, which I, I don't think this is necessarily a pushback against that, more of maybe just sort of a, you know, one of the it, various idiosyncrasies of the the way that Rockstar designs games, which feels very insular compared to what the rest of the industry is doing. Mm -hmm. But that game doesn't really show you checklists. It doesn't really, like give you any sort of presentation of like, well, you've got to do X number of things to do this, or you got to make sure that you, you, you see every single one of these little things. Otherwise, you know, you won't get to do this other thing. Right. It's more just like letting the world happen to you as you happen to be working your way through it. And that I think was, was kind of a nice reprieve for me. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's still a really long game and there's still like a lot to engage with, but the whole time, I didn't feel like the game was kind of like blinking off in the corner being like, hey, by the way, don't forget, you got these 17 other side missions you need to go do over here. You know, like it was kind of nice to not feel like I was getting, you know, harangued by that. Yeah, definitely. I guess like, I don't know, like it's, do you feel like it is a UI thing? Like, like the game can sort of take you, take you out of that? Or do you think that that's just kind of like, I think on some level it's hardwired into people who started playing games in a particular era. Like I'm thinking of, I mean, Final Fantasy VII really ruined me for this. Is is my is what I always tell people, and that like, I once you once you get the chance to find extra characters, not just like you know concept art or whatever, but literally like right. extra characters in the game. I mean that 
completely wrecked my sense of just like playing a game to play it. Like I had to find everything at that point. I mean, is that like, do you think that there's a way for designers to get gamers away from that so that they're just like literally experiencing these worlds that they've spent so much time putting together as worlds? Or I mean, is that completionist nature just there to stay? I mean, I think that hook is probably there to stay because we still like enough of these games as they are Mm. that, you know, we're sort of willing to forgive the fact that the machinery is very clearly, you know, clanking away in front of you as you're playing because you still like there's still just that weird little kind of lizard brain thing where (laughs) ticking boxes off on a list is just inherently satisfying. Yeah, that's great. So, like, as long as people are, you know, still enjoying the games and they are still, you know, getting giving these developers the engagement hours that they so clearly want with these very long experiences. Uh, I don't foresee that going away. I think, again, in in the case of Red Dead, it's less of a pushback against an industry trend. And it feels more to me like they had a very specific vision for how they wanted this world to work and how they wanted to disguise the machinery of that world. Mm. And they weren't going to compromise that in any way, shape, or form. So you're still getting the same sort of tiers of quests and tiers of activities and all that, but it's all painted over with a lot of man hours of labor, we should point well, out yeah, we'll get to clearly. That. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like they, the, the way they've painted over all that stuff to sort of like make it feel like a more natural part of the world, I think that's just more inherent to that game's vision than it is like, you know, something that I foresee necessarily a lot of other developers like going for. Okay. So let me ask let me ask a question that is now uh, extremely freighted because of recent articles. Um, particularly, I can't remember where it was where it was posted. It was it was kind of like a a website I'd never heard of, which is why I don't remember it. But uh, I, I it wasn't a bad piece. It was kind of interesting. Um, that piece that just came out. Uh, I know Austin uh, Walker uh, retweeted it um, on the way that. Uh, video game criticism is not producing art based or not producing real critique. Um, I don't know if you saw that mm-hmm. pop up or not. Um, I have not had a chance to see that piece. Okay. I, it starts, I mean, the, the way it starts turned me off initially, but I had people who are smarter than me and, and nicer than me actually read it and tell me, you know, like you should really give this a chance. It's a little better than you, than you're uh, setting it out to be. And it, it is like, it's, it's, there's, there's a, some interesting concepts there, but the, uh, it starts off with the question of like, well, you know, as Roger Ebert once said, like, is our vi- can uh-huh. video games be art? Um, and I always worry about that because I had I wrote a, uh, you know, famously for me anyway, like I think about it a lot. My entry into doing this podcast and, and the work I'm doing now was just a dissertation chapter where I was like, oh, I, you know, people don't talk about video games enough. I think I'm going to try to do that. And uh, one of the one of the things I started with was was Ebert. And even my advisor who like was like, I don't know if you can write about video games. I mean, give it a try, but it might be, you know, there might just be nothing there. Um, Even he was like, this Ebert part, like take this out. Like, don't don't make that your intro. It's, it's, it's over you. It's like, it's completely done. Like just forget. Yeah, no, it's the Webster's dictionary defines blank as of video game. Exactly. And like, I have to admit, I was like, yeah, no, you're right. Like this is, this is ridiculous. But I mean, the, the question of like video games and art is still like an extremely open question to me. And I guess like, here's the art question that I have about checking boxes. You know, one of the Mm -hmm. things that I think defines film as a viable artistic genre is that it it 
there's things you can miss, right? Like this is, this is a very famous aesthetic question about photography is that like, okay, you know, does it, uh, does it count as art? And I mean, it's sort of a settled question at this point, people don't worry about photography being art, but when it was new, they were, um, right. But the question is like, okay, does, does photography count as art? Cause you know, I'm just, you're just reproducing something. It's not, it's not, uh, you don't have to do anything. Anyone can point and click. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, what, what people decided was snapshots might not be art. Um, you know, like your family vacation might not be worth putting in a, in a museum, but someone composing a photo leaves stuff out. Like you have to, you have to still interpret it as a viewer. So it counts as art. And I think the same thing can be said right. of film, right? It's not just point and click it's or point and shoot. It's there's something there. There's a director doing something and producing something. Um, I think the concern I'd have with video games now would be like, okay, yeah, there are directors, they have visions, there's stuff going on. And certainly on the indie scene, like I just got done uh, playing uh, for the first time, it's been on my list forever, uh, A Fury, which was fun. I thought it had a lot of interesting ideas about boss fights and and mechanics and aesthetics, and I thought it was a really great experience. Um, And obviously that game is doing something. Like it's, you know, whether or not you think it's great or art or whatever, it's it's trying something. Um, These big games, I mean, is there anything that they are... In except, I mean, actually, that's about that's a bad way to ask it. Let me ask it this way: Does their persistence in producing these sort of like lists, this way of saying like, here, if you if you've done all these things, you fully experience the world, is that does that get us away from art in some way? Does that make it harder to make video games art? <sighs> that's a tough question. I don't know if I'm smart enough to have. You're a good smart answer enough. That. You can. <laughs> Well, so here's the thing is that I don't necessarily think that a game going at that kind of lizard brain sort of, you know, almost mechanized response from players negates the possibility of it being art. You know, like a game can still like to me, whether a game is art and this goes for any medium, whether a thing is art or whether it is just a thing ultimately boils down to is there something being expressed here beyond you know, just a very basic level of enjoyment, okay. you know, is, is this a thing meant to be for me, be consumed and then immediately disposed of, or is there at the very least just something underneath there that is being expressed that I can kind of latch onto beyond just the, the pure mechanics of it. Right. And, you know, in, in, in these games, like in, uh, if, if we're going for the more checklisty, you know, kind of examples of that, like, you know, it, it is something like in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, art i don't know but i think it probably is because there is an actual story and there are themes being expressed there and there are things that are being pushed forward that i think are more than just pure naked grabs at uh entertainment and nothing else um you know do i think that those kinds of checklist sort of design elements are, are they a problem for that i mean i don't think that they're they help but at the same time I, I don't think, like I said, I don't think they negate the possibility of that. Mm. I think it is just, it is really just about finding the balance in there of getting your player numbers and your number of hours to where you want and also being able to kind of tell the story and express the things that you want to express. And I think, you know, more often than not, most games are, are okay at doing that. You know, I mean, whether you like a lot of these game stories or not, it ultimately boils down to, you know, personal preference. Right. But I do think that at the very least in a lot of these games that developers are trying to express something and do something with it, whether you like it or not, I think that 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 ultimately qualifies it. Yeah, I, I would agree. And like I, I, I 
totally also will uh, will say that you're smart enough to answer the question insofar as you differentiated between uh, art and preference, which is uh, something that only people who are smart do. Um, Okay, cool. People like I've never me. studied art in any meaningful way, so there you go. Um, but no, I, I think you're right. And like, uh, this is actually like a decent segue into talking about some of the stuff that is, uh, you know, the elephant in the room with with Red Dead, um, because you know one of the one of the things that keeps cropping up, and I think your answer is totally right. Like, it doesn't help, but it doesn't negate. Um, it's sort of like thinking about it's thinking about like genre fiction, saying like, well, can genre fiction be art? And it's like, well, yeah, but the Tom Clancy's of the world don't help uh, its perception. <laughs> um, right. And like the, the sort of like people just wanting pure profit out of it, don't make it any easier for people who are trying to make art. Um, on the yeah. other hand, like, you know, the question about red dead ultimately makes us wonder like, well, is it actually the art that we have to be worried about? Or is it the business where like we're given, and I want to ask you to like two lines of questioning here, obviously the labor question. Um, and then the the well, let's ask the labor question first. Like this is a game that is built on crunch. It's built on people having really horrible hours. Like before it came out, this was something that that happened. And then while it was coming out, it was basically the crux and the thing people had to account for in every one of their reviews where it's like, OK, look, I get that this was not produced in a particularly humane way. But um, I mean, is there is there something in big business here that we need to worry about as, as like consumers of this, of this work? Like, is that going to make it hard to continue to see these things as art as opposed to exploitation? Or is there some sort of like way we can have our cake and eat it too, as far as that goes? I mean, the, the relationship between art and exploitation, you know, is a much longer, deeper conversation that I am probably, you know, versed enough in to speak at length about, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I, as much as you know, unionization exists in in places like the movie industry and and you know the the film production industry in general. Like it's not like you know that labor in various ways has not been exploited uh, to the nth degree for years and years. And oh yeah, years, and you can uh, have you can have non union be. people on a set like as a. My yeah. father's an actor. Like like graphics, you know, yeah. uh, special effects departments oh, God, and, yeah. and studios these days they're not unionized and you know like the hours there. Uh, from my understanding, in general, are, are pretty comparable to like crunch at a lot of major game studios. Yeah, and like so that exploitation exists kind of across the spectrum. Yeah, and 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 you know, you look at you look at you're absolutely right. Like you look at places like movie studios, and they they certainly, you know, there is a union, and and it makes things better for the workers. But uh, the people <laughs> the people who are at the top making the money certainly exploit every loophole they possibly can in order to uh, oh, give yeah. the people as little money as possible. It's not a and magical that's, that's, cure. You know, I'd, no, definitely not. And, you know, games, I think, are particularly in the crosshairs these days because there just really isn't a unionization element anywhere in there outside of like voice acting mm -hmm. unions, right. you know. So, you know, now that we are talking more about labor and now that we are considering labor more, you know, people are kind of looking at that situation and that the the culture of sort of crunch and, and the cycle of burnout that has kind of come part and parcel with this industry for, you know, let's say at least the last 30 years. Yeah, I would imagine. I would imagine uh, it's always been part really. of it. Yeah, it always has to been to a point. But, you know, as, as studios have gotten bigger and games have gotten bigger, you know, that has uh, ramped up to, a, I think, a pretty significant, to a, like an untenable mm -hmm. degree. And, you know, we look at something like Red Dead 2, 
and we hold it up to this light, not just because, you know, Dan Hauser said some dumb shit in an interview, you know, like, and I mean, he, he sure did, did. Said some dumb shit. In he an definitely interview. opened himself he up. He sure did. But, <laughs> but the thing is, like, he opened himself up to that degree, one, because the Hausers never talk to anyone. So anytime they do, it ends up becoming news no matter right. what. But two, because this is going to be the biggest game of the year, no matter what. It does not matter what else you throw at 2018. There was never a chance in the world that Red Dead Redemption 2 was not going to be the biggest selling and the most talked about thing that came out this year because that's just the, what the Rockstar machine does. Right. They make those kinds of games that to come out every four or five years and everyone talks about for a long time. So, you know, whether it's fair or not to hold them up as the sort of, you know, the beacon of this, as sort of the, the light that we are sort of guiding ourselves toward on trying to figure out what to do about game labor... I think it's completely fair because, you know, if you can't hold that light up to the biggest product in our industry, then what the hell can you hold it yeah. up to? And, you know, is it fair to the people who made the game that the conversation has sort of, you know, maybe overwritten some of, you know, the accomplishments that they have actually made? I, I don't know that it is, but I also think that you can appreciate what they did with with Red Dead 2 and also be realistic about what what the conditions were that created it and also use it as a sort of, you know, a benchmark and a, a, a way to push forward this conversation that was already happening before the red dead stuff really kind of kicked yeah, absolutely. off. I think this just sort of kicked it into gear. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, like I, I have a, a, I don't know, maybe like five or six episodes back, maybe more. I have a, I, I talked with un, people who were doing games unionization in Australia, part of the games workers union and, I mean, that's a massive, massive thing. And it was before Red Dead that that started. But like, I mean, yeah, I think you're right. Like bringing crunch to the the mainstream people, you know, being able to talk about it like, you know, around around the water cooler or whatever. Like it's not it, it could have yeah. only happened, let's say, with I, I, I'm paraphrasing what you're saying here, I think, um, because I think you're right. Like it could have only happened with a rock star game because now people care about it. Um, whereas before, yeah. like, I don't know, like, you know. It's not as if, look, it's not as if like no one cares about about the exploitation of someone who's making um, the a game that isn't popular, a game that isn't like a huge mainstream hit. Um, but it's certainly true that the people who actually uh, care and talk about it in the mainstream might care less because it's not you know the next Grand Theft Auto or Red Dead or something like that. Um, even if it's Spider-Man. Yeah, like, and, and, and ultimately, whatever, you know. Yeah, ultimately the thing that I hope is that, you know, as this conversation continues on and as we continue to discuss that both in the context of Red Dead and the sort of larger industry issue of crunch and, and, and labor exploitation, you know, my hope is that people are able to sort of thread that needle and be able to understand that, like, you know, because this game was made in ultimately, you know, uh, terrible conditions does not mean that the game is automatically bad and you can never speak anything nice of mm -hmm. it ever, you know, and vice versa. You know, just because you like the game doesn't mean that you should not think about the people who made it and think about what went into the process of, you know, like just all that insane detail and all that insane, you know, scope and breadth of what they've made. Like, 
all I could think about while I was playing it was was just like Jesus Christ, how many artists <laughs> sat there trying to make sure that Arthur's drawer opening animation looked exactly the way that they had you know they designed I mean, it. It's it's mind-boggling. And that didn't ruin my enjoyment of it. Yeah, like that didn't ruin my enjoyment of it, but it also it made me think about it in a way that maybe I hadn't mm. with other games like it. And I think that was actually a really worthwhile and positive thing. Mm, interesting. Um, so let me ask in terms of like the. Well, actually, no, one last thing and then, then I'll ask. I think like one of the things that I would add there is to say that the I mean, there's there's this weird artist versus um, collective tension in video games, too, where like. Yeah, there's a there's a collective kind of exploitation happening and we worry about that necessarily. Um, but then there are also like individual artists who like super care about you seeing their art and like and enjoying it and and right. you know checking it out. And I think like that is something that we don't usually have. Like if if someone's being exploited it's usually an individual person um or like a person in a collective who doesn't care about what they're doing like you know no one no one from I don't know uh Monsanto or like uh working oh I'm not Monsanto but like someone at a a meat rendering plant isn't going to be like well I just would really appreciate you know I, I worked really long hours in in unsafe conditions but I'd still appreciate right. for you to eat my eat the meat I made that would make me happy like they don't care like it doesn't yeah. matter but the people who made Red Dead I I from what I've heard do care like they want you to play it even if it was made in bad conditions yeah. and that kind of collective artistry I think is still hard for us to kind of parse well and yeah and there's also I think a temptation to want to say that because the game is so good that the 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 effort was entirely worth it you know what right, I mean yeah. and I, I like I would caution against that sort of thinking, like that sense that like, well, I put in all these really terrible fucking hours into this game, but people like it. So that was worth it like that. That is the step too far that I hope people don't take when they are thinking about yeah. this stuff. Like it's possible to say that you should be proud of what you accomplished without saying that. Well, obviously it was worth the effort because the truth is that all those things, every aspect of that game could be the way that it is with more time spread out over time with hours that were, you know, more conducive to like, you know, having like an actual healthy livelihood, it would have taken longer and it would have cost them more money, which is, you know, never the thing that uh, a company like 2k wants to invest in <laughs> uh, or take two rather or 2k. But, I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, for really any major publisher, like if they can find a way to avoid having to spend an extra year developing a game and, you know, spending whatever money they have to, to make that happen, they will do it. Absolutely. But but that's the thing is that like we're talking about a scope and scale of game now that just to get done in say like, you know, let's say like an Assassin's Creed Origins thing which where they had like 3 3 years to work roughly on that game. <laughs> that's that's such a crazy the amount of that game. Time you look to do that game. Yeah, but it's 3 years, but no, at the no, same I mean, time that, that's not it's, that, it's that, nuts because that's so little is what I mean, like it it is, but that's also long for a franchise like yeah. that. So now what you're looking at is not only do they have three years, but they also have to have like five, six different support studios working under them. There have to be at least one or two other main studios working on other Assassin's Creed games that have to, you know, come after them. So they are essentially staggering, staggering the release points. You do the same thing with Call of Duty, like the, the way that they try and condense that development time 
into, you know, what they consider to be a financially tenable situation. It's just not right. sustainable. It just can't be. Even it doesn't Ubisoft can only have so many studios at a point, but these games seem like they just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And at some point something's going to break. And my hope is that if when something does eventually break, it is not because something really terrible happened, but because eventually people just kind of grew fed up with the amount of time and effort and and the you know the the sheer number of hours they were being asked to work yeah. on this stuff. And you know, like something like Game Workers Unite sort of galvanizes a larger movement and turns it into something where you know labor hours and things like this can be negotiated as part of like a larger unionization effort. And you know, like I said, I just I just don't think that the current scale of games and the current timetables with which they have to be produced is tenable, especially when when you're talking about a studio like Rockstar that still had like 300 people working over seven years and they still had to crunch like crazy just to get that thing out the door. So crazy. Um, yeah, no, I agree. And I think like thinking about this as something that is going to impact the industry as opposed to something that we have to take into account as part of the medium is a smart conversation mm-hmm. and not one I actually see being had a lot. I see a lot of the conversation of like, well, when will we are, when does it become like morally not okay to, to game or whatever? Like I've seen that before, but the question of like, okay, so like, what should we, what, what can we expect from the industry to have to like actually change at this point? Not, you know, when do we have to stop playing games? Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is that like if you're asking when when was it ever moral to play video games, I don't know that it ever was. I don't know that it ever has mm-hmm. been. You know, video games are, you know, uh, debased in their own way and always have been to some degree. So I don't know. I think there's always been kind of a, a an agreement <laughs> that you know morals were never really going to enter into it. I think that's probably um, true. <laughs> yeah, but like also, yeah. At the same time, like I don't think it's. Like, for me, it's not about a boycott. It's not about saying, don't play this game because it was made under terrible conditions. Because I think as soon as you start trying to peel back the layers of that, you're looking at a whole lot of video games that you can never touch specifically under those conditions. I think it's about being vocal. I think it's about being supportive. I think it's about recognizing when people are saying to you, hey, the conditions under which we made this thing were not good. Listen to us, support us, and doing Mm -hmm. that. It's about getting out there and being vocal and saying, you know, telling publishers, hey, this is not acceptable. You know, of course, in the end, publishers and, and major companies are probably only ever going to listen to, you know, are people buying these things? Oh, of course. And I mean, that's the at some point, maybe that does have, all this time. Yeah. As, and at some point, some maybe the conversation of a boycott does have to happen. But I think it needs to be done on the terms of the people who are organizing and, and collectivizing and trying to decide when that point has mm-hmm. to come. Like if developers are striking and they're telling you, Hey, don't buy these games because we are striking to protest these conditions and to try and unionize. Yeah, don't cross that picket. That's line. something you listen yeah. to. Yeah. Don't cross that picket line. Don't fucking do that. But do you necessarily need to boycott every single game right now that may have been made under a terrible crunch? I, I don't know. I don't personally think so, but that, you know, other people probably do think that. And I think that that's a conversation that's probably going on right now and just hasn't quite been solved yeah. yet. That's interesting. So I want to ask you one more thing and then, um, uh, then I will, I will start to, cause I've already asked you a million things, but, uh, and I know it's getting late. Uh, hey, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> I man. appreciate that. Um, so 
one of the things that I find fascinating about Red Dead, and and this this continues from the first one, which I will confess I've never finished, um, and I, I should at some point or another. Um, but uh, you know, like Red, the original Red Dead was lauded as as a wonderful story, and for for good reason. Like it was it was a it was a cool game. It was a game that had never really been produced in that way before. It was it was new. It was interesting. Um, and then there's also some a lot of concerns about the way it kind of like treated uh native americans and like the ways it sort of like understood the legacy of the west and stuff like that and i feel like on some level we're not having those conversations as much about red dead redemption 2 and i wonder like i I couldn't help but feel very pandered to at the beginning of the game when i looked at my gang Mm -hmm. and it was like oh yeah like this gang this gang's pretty woke about race guys like this gang this gang knows that that uh, or at least most of them know micah doesn't but like most of them know that it's okay to like to 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 have black people in the gang. Like that's cool. And and they they have people who are Native Americans in the gang. And like the the point of the point of that is like then they can they can teach uh you know they can teach Arthur how to use bows and stuff. It felt like I I couldn't tell. Let me put it this way: I'm not far enough in the game to speak to the politics of it, but I felt a little pandered to in a way that didn't. It wasn't like I was like uh, I, I felt like Gamergate about it or whatever. It was that like I kind of was like, mm-hmm. are you are you trying to dodge the issue with this narrative? Is is this meant to make me stop wondering about the politics of this game and just assume that it's good? Um, you know. Yeah, I, I would I would kind of lean in that direction. Like I like a lot of the story. I think it's attempts uh, in general to try and frame certain issues like like race like matters uh involving indigenous people and the u.s government like i don't think those things are necessarily much better than they were in red dead they're just elaborated upon Mm -hmm. more um like there's a plot line late in that game where uh in red dead 2 where you are helping out uh an indigenous tribe that is you know more or less been sort of beaten down by the government and you know there's a sort of stewing conflict involving the son of the chief and you know dutch is sort of involving himself as sort of part of his larger plan to try and uh, create a distraction to extricate the gang from you know american territory and all that and it's not good like it's it's just not a good storyline the you know they got graham green who's a, a fairly well-known indigenous actor to play the, the the chief character but the whole thing is just very hokey in a way that that just it it feels like the lesson they learned from the first game was we need to involve indigenous characters without just making them background like enemies and they they didn't they did that but they didn't do much beyond that they just still made a thing that is steeped deeply in bad cliche and a thing that does not really say anything about the nature of the conflict between you know america and its indigenous indigenous people beyond what they said in the first game which was literally that five minute opening monologue with that that racist old white lady talking about how we you know we tame the savages like this is that same like to use rob zachney's uh terminology that it's that same cudgel it's just wielded with a little more Mm. nuance than in the last game uh and it's that cudgel they use to just sort of beat the american dream as they always do in in various rock star stories and so that was like kind of disappointing you know like especially like sort of enjoying the Charles character, who is uh, the one of the indigenous characters in, in your gang. Like I liked him. Yeah, that character is really cool. I like him. He's good. But then I also recently discovered uh, that he was not voiced by an indigenous actor, which was kind of a bummer. 
uh, especially on. considering most of the other indigenous characters really? in that game are. So that was that was sort of oh, that's frustrating. That was frustrating uh, to to uncover. That's very frustrating. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Like, it, it, there's there's still a lot of that stuff going on in there where it feels like they learned a lesson, but not necessarily the the full lesson or even quite the right lesson. It was more just like here's how we mitigate criticism more than it is like we actually have something meaningful to say with any of this. I don't know if that makes any sense. It totally makes sense. And I, you know, I, I, there's a, there's a part early on before you get where you're still on the, on the rails. And actually I had a question about that too. When there's like a very long opening section where you're on the rails before you get to the open world. Right. Um, so to speak, I mean, there's open world elements. You could always go riding off in whatever direction you want. But, uh, you know, it's a very linear plot line for the first bit. Um, there's a part where you're talking to Hosea, the, the sort of like old wizened guy in the gang. Um, and you, you lose a wheel and you look up and you see a, a few indigenous people on the on the cliff. And uh, and he says, oh, poor bastards. And uh, and Arthur goes like, what happened? He goes, oh, well, we we really screwed them. It's, I'll tell you in the in the cart. And it's just like, uh, so, OK, like Hosea is like so so woke that he's like the the u.s government did a really bad thing to those people i'm like come on well and you know i mean (laughs) some guy their reactions are very much in in keeping with the sort of the larger theme of you know the u.s government is bad government is bad fuck these you know fuck these government stooges they all do bad like it's not so much that he it necessarily feels like he's that sympathetic to them and specifically more just that you know like a lot of these other characters they just you know they have no sympathy for anyone the u.s government fucks over and I will say that, that that's I remember that scene you're talking about, and it is roughly 35 hours before any other indigenous characters actually make a meaningful appearance in that game after that. So I was start. There's a period there where I was actually wondering, is that it? Is that going to be the only like acknowledgement of any of this stuff uh, in there? And wow, they get back there. It's just not great. That's amazing because I mean that setup makes it feel like they'll be an integral part of the story. Yeah, they they and there is like. It, part of the main plot does hinge on that whole storyline that I was talking about before, but it's it's done very much in a sure. way that sort of treats them as marks like any other marks that the gang is sort of targeting. It's just, you know, the question ultimately becomes, are they deserving of, you know, the 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 Dutch Vanderlyn gang sort of, you know, using them the way that they've used so many other, you know, various uh, characters throughout the game. And they but just that, never really get that's there. That's kind of the it. question it you're always some asking. Bad last samurai bullshit at a certain point. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean that because, like, honestly, it's not it's not any different than from any of the other characters. Because, like, whenever you run across someone with Dutch's gang, it's like you know the 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 sort of what I was I was getting annoyed about it. I, there's so much to like about the game. I shouldn't I shouldn't make it sound like I don't like it because like I am having a lot of fun with it. I I couldn't I couldn't be honest and say like this game's disappointing me. Like I'm I'm really enjoying it, but like. The the moral questions where it's like, you know, like, ooh, is Arthur a good guy or a bad guy? You get to make the call. Um, I was I was talking to this, uh, a friend and I was like, yeah, it's real. It's real Peter Molyneux when you get those choices. Like it's like, oh, will Arthur kill them? Will, will he strangle this guy or will he let him go? What's, what's really it's weird like, oh, that's- is that of all the series and all the settings for them to not necessarily quite get that aspect right you would think the old West would be the easiest one, right? Because you're an outlaw. Yes, exactly. But it's like the way yeah, and like, they, they frame the characters in these games. It was it's the same deal with John Marston too. Like they can't bring themselves to actually 
let loose the notion that maybe these characters aren't actually good people. Like Marston right. and Arthur both are sort of like these characters where you can do bad shit. You can be this awful, you know, like murderous gunslinger, but that feels actually out of step with the main story they're trying to tell in both cases. Right. Yes. And like, there's a, there's a way with like, it, it, I, I thought about it in the, in the very first scene. I remember thinking like, this is very strange. And then of course your first uh, moral choice comes soon afterward. Um, but the, the first scene where they're, where they're talking to, uh, I guess it's not the first scene. It's like, it's just after, but it's, it's when you first, uh, it's your first taste of combat. It's basically the combat tutorial. And, uh, and you, you, you run to the, this guy's wife who, uh, who's, um, the, the O'Connell, O'Donnell, excuse me, the O'Donnell boys have, uh, have killed her husband. Oh, the O'Driscolls? Um, and left her a widow. O'Driscolls, yes. yeah, sorry. I'm horrible <laughs> with names. I, I, this is, this has been well documented on the, on the podcast, but, um, the O'Driscolls have killed her husband and, and left her a widow, and and you know it's it's very it's very sad. Um, but but Dutch or someone or Arthur says like, uh, we're we're bad men, but we'll we'll take care of you or something like that. And it's like it's that kind of thing where it's like, oh, we're bad, but actually like we're not that kind of bad. We're not the kind of bad that you you know you have to worry and, about. We're the good and guy. and like you know some of that is built into the storyline. Some of that tension around that is built around that storyline because you know that that is the thing that is supposed to set. The, the Vanderlyn gang aside from other outlaw gangs is that, you know, they rob the robbers, they rob the, you know, the, the brigands and, and the roustabouts and whatnot. They don't mess with like innocent yeah. people necessarily, but at the same time, right. the game tells you over and over again, Oh, well, you know, if you want, you can shoot all these people in the face and rob them constantly if you feel like it. And that feels like, a <laughs> right. it's like this weird capitulation to the notion of what a rockstar game is supposed to be like the, the GTA thing of, well, I mean, we've basically just built a sociopathy simulator. So of course we're just going to let you do that. And it's obvious they don't want to tell that particular story in these games, but they still feel like they have to let you be that person because that's the empire they've built. Like that is what they have built the rockstar brand around is sociopath like sociopathy in controlled doses yeah and i guess that that kind of leads me to the question i had for you which is like there's part of part of how i felt on the and in, in the part on the rails uh it reminded me a little bit of playing uh of all things um the first arkham asylum ages and ages and ages ago um and then playing arkham city uh the the, the two uh rocksteady batman yeah. games and and feeling at one point like you know, I kind of miss Asylum because it just let me kind of have a story. Right. I didn't have to like – it wasn't world building. It wasn't like this whole, you know, mess of like, oh, you know, it's – I have to find all these phone booths and like like the checklist right. thing. Um, and, and there's something there's something like refreshing about a story and then there's also something that kind of speaks to your point, which is like at a certain point when you make open world to the degree where it's like, okay, the player has to have full autonomy here. Um, you kind of like you kind of write yourself out of being able to tell uh, a story about a character. Yeah, like the character just has to be completely open to whatever the player wants. Yeah, I mean, you know, the term that was used, thrown around a lot for a while there, which is a term I've only used once in a review and never used again, uh, was the lunar narrative dissonance. The notion of you know the player's actions <laughs> and the player what <laughs> the player great. can do being at odds with the story that they, that essentially the developers are trying to tell and. Like one right. of the prime examples of this for me is uh, Sleeping Dogs, a game I love a lot. That game is super good. 
Um, but at the same, it's a, fun it's a super fun game. It is a great rend- uh, rendering of Hong Kong. Like it, it, is, it is, does a lot of things right. But the one thing they never quite figure out is the part where you are playing a character who is quite literally a cop, like just a full on law enforcement. No, no hedging around that. Like you are an undercover cop who is doing undercover cop things. And on a regular basis, you are given the ability to blow up other cops while you are on the run and doing, you know, fucking, you know, hectic open world shit. And it's like, it's a great game. But every time I'm blowing up a cop car, I'm like, am I going to get in trouble for this? Was this a problem for anybody? (laughs) My boss is going to be so mad at me that I killed all these cops. Yeah, it's a thing that you can really only solve in a world where your character doesn't have to be a good person ever. And it's hard to tell that story in a way that doesn't just make it feel like you are playing the worst person alive. Right. And I mean that like, that's absolutely correct. Like it's, it not just, not just playing the worst person alive, but playing, playing a character, playing a person who like literally doesn't have consistency, which is almost worse than being bad. Where like, I guess that that's the sociopathy simulator where it's like, you know, you don't actually have to have any consistency as a person. You can be just like whoever you want to be any given second, Um, which on some level is satisfying. But I feel maybe it's this maybe that maybe it's that I feel other games have done this better where like or other genres even have now done it better where now you can like. Okay, I want to be someone else, so I'll play, you know, Visser Cleanup Simulator or something like that. Like I'll play, I'll play a game where, like, I, I'll play Euro Truck. Like it's, it's a game where I can be like, okay, I'm someone else now. I can, I can be someone else, as opposed to open world games where it's like, I want to live as a character in this world. Like I don't necessarily want to live in the old west. I want to have a story told that makes me feel like, wow, like I'm experiencing the old west through this person's eyes. And maybe that's maybe that's right. just me. Maybe most people do want to be in the old west, and that's just like that's something that you know I'm thinking as a as a critic or as a, a consumer that is just not uh, in step with other consumers. In which case, you know, I totally understand why game companies aren't doing it. But it does feel like yeah. the open world doesn't do as much as what people think it should. Like what what developers think it will do. Um, you always hear, yeah. oh, this, this is about like this is about opening the world so that it feels like you're really, really there. Um, and it never does that for me. Like it does mostly the opposite. Yeah, I mean, the thing with me and and that world is that I really just like the between parts of that game. Mm-hmm. Like the quests were fine. You know, I enjoyed doing the the story stuff and engaging with all the weird ass characters in the world. But the thing I really liked, and this is not something I necessarily always like in, in Rockstar games, is the, the the sections between where you're kind of going from place to place. Like, in GTA, I don't like it as much, not because I don't like driving in those games, but because the they have this thing where they have to write a lot of jokes into those sections mm. where characters are essentially just yelling jokes at you over and over <laughs> again, and then the character is yelling back a response that is sort of like, I recognize the thing you said was a joke. That's pretty messed up. And it just keeps the, <laughs> just these awful, awful conversations. All right, I really didn't like GTA 5 very much. Uh, <laughs> but then, like, with Red Dead, they have that, too, there's definitely these parts where you're on these carts and you're with other people and they're sort of talking at you, but it's quieter. Like people aren't constantly screaming stuff at you. Like it's not trying to be this very loud satire at every given moment. And there's lots of spaces in that game where no one is talking to you, where like nothing is happening. You are just kind of riding around. Yeah. Maybe you pass by a guy in a horse and he says, you know, howdy partner. And that's kind of it. 
And that to me, like that, that was actually the meat of what I really loved about playing Red Dead was just those moments where, you know, sometimes I was turning on the cinematic camera, sometimes I wasn't, but I was just sort of watching the world go as I was on my horse or just kind of wandering around in a field or on a mountain or something, you know, by a stream and just kind of taking it in. Yeah. That to me was the stuff that I really appreciated uh, over the course of playing it. Are you a cinematic camera guy? Did you did you like that? I did in places like there were there were definitely like long, longer rides where I was like, OK, there's no point to me paying attention to this. So I'm just going to not. Um, and I did enjoy, you know, kind of having that option there it, it, nine times out of ten. It worked mm-hmm. right. Um, you know, I but I don't know, like I'm a guy who likes long rides in games like i there are definitely times when i want to use fast travel mm-hmm. there are times when i want to get to across the map very quickly just because i want to be done yeah but you know i'm also the guy who often in assassin's creed origins would just ride from one end of the map to the other because i just liked being in that you know big giant fucking you know diverse deserty world uh i was you know i play a lot of american truck simulator you know like that i i enjoy those long stretches of just kind of nothing on the highway where I'm just kind of driving, listening to music, nothing distracting me. Like that's my idea of a cool out game. You know, that is my, my house flipper. That is my thing <laughs> that I just use to do kind of like a real basic action and just sort of enjoy an atmosphere. I've been thinking about picking up that house to flipper. me is the stuff that I really like. It looks really fun. What's I've been thinking about picking up house. So Abby, Abby, who I work with uh, at, at uh, the East coast office here at giant bomb, like she loves house flipper. That is her thing that she goes, to, goes to as like her like relaxation game. And, as someone who's played a lot of American Truck Simulator, I totally yeah, get it. no, for sure, and like I, I yeah, there's like I don't know, like there's something there's something very stoic. If if the let me put it this way, if the game if the game gets the West in a particular way, the way it gets it is like in terms of like just the kind of uh like hetero heteronormative or not heteronormative, but uh like I'm trying to think of like what what this is called, like. It, homo not homosexual but like basically like friends i'm i'm missing the word Mm because it's been so long since i've been in the theory space but like basically like the way you and i socialize or the way like any of us like when you know you and i got dinner with scott or whatever like how we talked Mm -hmm. Uh, it's just like a bunch of guys who are together that aren't like necessarily sexually interested in one another and just are friends um but are within like the same sort of like nascent gender such as it is um and that is very much true. Like homo, homo socializing, like the, the, the there's a homo right. social element to that game that is like very true to life where like they're just dry. They're just walking or they're just like riding and there's no talking. Like it's not like anyone yeah. saying like, let's have a conversation. Like, how are you guys feeling about this heist? Or like, it's just kind of like we just need some quiet time. Like, let's just be quiet. And that felt very but true. Even, and even when they yeah, and even when they are having those conversations, I, I I feel like at the very least they they've maybe learned that uh, having people constantly screaming at one another is maybe not as pleasant as just listening to people sort of talk. <laughs> so even like when you're on horseback, it isn't necessarily that thing where everyone's just shouting at the top of their lungs. Like there, it feels like people are talking at a much more normal volume, yes. and it, it's just like a small thing, but it's a thing I notice because it's just the thing that always has driven me a little bit crazy about Rockstar games is that they just their writing style is very much we need to shout at the audience because these people will not fucking get what we're saying if we don't yell at a t- maximum volume and i appreciated that at least red dead kind of backed away a little bit from yeah that. and i guess like on some level maybe that's good then that they didn't and it's not good but you can imagine how bad it could have been if that's the opinion they have of their audience if they actually did like a 
a serious conversation about uh, native issues. You can, you could see how yeah, bad that I, would be. I, I don't have the faith in Dan Hauser to write that stuff in a in a good way. And I'm not, and again, I think the thing they made is also kind of not good in that way. But you know, I also feel like really serious issues Dan Hauser would not be digestible in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> right. No. I think like, yeah, and I mean like especially because it's I mean, you look at you look at the way that satire is handled in uh in in GTA and it's always just like pretty messed up that uh that we live in a world where you can like find a helicopter and crash it into a building like that's consumerism <laughs> it's like man this is yep. this is rough yeah yeah no their 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 satirical mind i think was was right for a time and has maybe not necessarily grown alongside the rest of the world i am very curious to see whatever the next version of gta looks like because i Again, I wonder if they have actually learned any lessons from GTA Five, or if they just don't care because that game sold so much that they don't think they need to do anything different. I, I would not but, be know, surprised I mean, again, if that Red was Dead the Two case. being, yeah, but Red Dead Two being a less satirically minded game, it was kind of, you know, like I said, I think it's an uneven story, but it's better than a lot of other Rockstar writing tends to be. And I'm curious to see what happens when they're back uh, behind the, you know, behind the wheel of the franchise that is much more the louder, more obnoxious rock star and whether they still feel like they need to do that exact same thing they've been doing for like, what, six games now, seven games. Well, yeah. And I mean, it's, uh, it's, a, it's and, a rock star that has a much more expected uh, identity too. Cause I mean, one of the things about red dead is like, it could, it could kind of be what it wanted to be uh, just because like people cared about red dead redemption one. And of course this is an enormous game, as you say, but they had one yeah. game before, uh, you know, I guess they had Red Dead Revolver, but no one really thinks about those games. <laughs> it's Red Dead. Yeah, no one thought about Red Dead Revolver. I mean, that was, you know, at one point that was originally a Capcom joint like that. That that's that's a whole other weird story. Yeah. But yeah, um, but like it, it's it's a genre that it's like a series that they really could kind of mess around with and be like, OK, well, you know, people people care about this game, but it's not like we have a voice that people are going to get mad at if we don't uh, reiterate um, whereas with GTA, right. like if they don't make a GTA game, there's going to be a whole group of people who are just not very pleased with them. Um, and what I mean, I think they're going to make another GTA game. The question is, you know, what ultimately like what kind of tone are they going to strike? with? Oh, that yeah. Thing? No, no. I, what, I, what I don't mean, I don't mean will they make. I mean, if they yeah. don't, that would be that would be crazy. It's just they, they're printing money. Um, but uh, yeah, but, uh, no, more like more like, you know, if you if you say like this, this is a you know, this is a GTA game versus like this is just not a GTA game. It's only a GTA game in name. Um, like if they make right. something like that, they're going to have a big, big problem. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Um, well, uh, I want one more question from you. And it's about I finally watched your it's not about Red Dead, uh, which I think we I okay. think we've I think we've uh, we've closed the book on Red Dead. I, I am very pleased with where we got. I. Yes, nothing else need be say, said about it ever nope. again. Close, and nothing else ever will be. Everyone's done with it now. Um, Definitely, the takes are over. <laughs> so I'm curious. I finally watched your uh, your classic review of uh, of Big Rigs. Um, ah, yes. Can I get a brief oral history of Big Rigs, of, of your experience in making that? I, it's, it's a wonderful review. It, it holds up even now. Um, and I, I say this as someone who just watched it for the first time. Like it's it's very good. What? Uh, just walk me through. Walk me through that experience. Walk me through big. Like walk me. Walk me through. Okay. So it, reviewing it. Everything. 
so just in case anyone uh, in, in your audience is unaware, uh, so this is... I thought I was uh, the last a, to know, so hopefully, hopefully. Yeah, so this was a, a PC game that came out, I think, in either 2003 or 2004. Uh, this was right around the time I had just started working at GameSpot. This was my first real like editorial gig, uh, non-freelance in the industry. And I was an assistant reviews editor, so I was reviewing a lot of very bad video games. I tended to get a lot of the 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 chaff that was sort of left over when all the people who mattered at the site uh, had taken the games they wanted to review. <laughs> um, so, and as also, this was an era of game reviews where we were trying to review pretty much everything. Uh, I remember that was kind those of the days. Arms race. Yeah, that was kind of the arms race between IGN and GameSpot. Was we we have the who has the most reviews. Uh, and you know, kind of an amazing value in retrospect. Yeah, kind of, kind of a useless one ultimately. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it led to some things like this, where we would occasionally review very bad video games, and when they were truly awful, we would do video reviews for them that were usually uh, somewhat comedic in nature to varying degrees of uh, success. So, I don't, I, you, know, you guys really whiffed on that Dick Wolves video that you did. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> we really fucked that one up. Um, <laughs> Like 2004 so, was a horrible time. <laughs> like it was a weird year. Um, um, yeah. So this game came through. Uh, every once in a while, we would just go to GameStop, and if there was just something on the shelf that we had not been sent or that you know had come out recently, and we felt like we should at least take a look at, we would usually just buy it and bring it back to the office. And that was one of a stack of games that Greg Savin had gone to GameStop and bought at one point. And he was like, "Here, do you want this? You occasionally play trucking games." I was like, "Yeah, sure." Uh, it's the worst game I've ever played by far. Uh, it is a broken pile of garbage, the likes of which very few games, even the worst games tend to be. It had no physics. Uh, it had a thing where if you hit reverse in the game, uh, it would speed up to the point of infinity, uh, where you were traveling faster than light. Uh, if you, you race against one other truck and the other truck doesn't move, uh, it's it it was not a functional piece of software in any meaningful way. Uh and I gave it the lowest score I ever reviewed a game. We did a video review where there's no words, it's just me playing it, kind of losing my mind, and then just going down and laying out in the middle of the street next to our office. Uh and that is that was just a concept. I I pitched to one of our video editors. I said, Hey, what if I hated this so much that I just I decided to go lay down in the middle of the street and they said, yeah, that's a video. And so we did it. <laughs> that's wonderful. Yeah, that's pretty much the whole story. I love it. It's basically the, the, the video game version of that, uh, that, uh, Radiohead, uh, video from the Benz. Yes. Um, uh, now, now we know many, what that guy was saying. It was, I made big rigs. Yep. And it, I later came to find out that that game may have been made with, uh, Russian slave labor somewhere. Oh, no. Is it like, I, I don't know exactly, but it was, it was farmed out to some studio that appeared to be some kind of weird front. Uh, I don't know that they ever actually made another game. Uh, the guy who was in charge of the project, I think went on to work for people can fly uh, and a couple of other like random uh, Eastern European developers over the years. Um, <laughs> he's still out there, I think. Uh, and I will say that years and years later, I did uh, get to go to an awesome games done quick and do a, a my attempt at a speed run of that game, which Amazing. is a real thing that can exist. How did you did you finish? I did. I, I didn't beat anyone's uh, record or anything, but I, I, I did a fairly brief run using the the reversal, the speed glitch 
And uh, that that was that you know what that made it all worth it. Ultimately, getting to be a part of Awesome Games Done Quick that was that, that mean, was what made it worth it. That's living the dream right there. Um, totally, man. That's 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 fantastic. Um, well, Alex, thanks so much for coming on. I, I really really appreciate your time. Um, what are what like obviously people can find you at Giant Bomb. Uh, where uh, you, you talk to people who, if, if anyone's just coming at this from a true crime thing, they talk to people who are not serial killers too. Uh, talk about mm-hmm. people who are the bombcast is is like I would say in my, in the no cartridge Discord, which is uh, split on almost everything. Uh, we we do not have a good identity uh, other than everyone's nominally left. I would say the bombcast is one of the things that everyone likes. Um, and uh, obviously, Giant Bomb's a fantastic site, and uh, people should read your work. But is there anything else that you'd want people to to look at to see what you've been doing? Uh, you know, I'm on Twitter as as we all are, uh, as as we all march toward our doom. You know, we spend our time there. Uh, I am Alex underscore Navarro on Twitter. Uh, yeah, no, just go to Giant Bomb. We make a lot of dumb video game, a lot of videos, and a lot of podcasts about video games. Sometimes, sometimes they're about video games. Sometimes they're about. Uh, various staff members eating habits uh it's there's a lot going on in those shows uh not all of it good but uh, we have fun hopefully you will too wonderful um well fantastic and uh yeah let's 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 make it uh let's, let's do it sooner than uh than 100 episodes next time um i, I agree i will let's do, do my best soon. <laughs> all right talk to you soon all right bye thanks man